When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host, Scott Martin, here to recap one of the best college football games I can remember watching, one of the most meaningful Michigan State wins I can remember watching, and certainly, you know, you can look at 2015 and the way that game ended, but start to finish, I can't remember a more exciting, more stressful, more impressive Michigan-Michigan State game that than than we saw on Saturday, yesterday, as we're recording this on Sunday. Uh, Holy hell, man. Scott, it's, like I said, Sunday afternoon here as we're recording this thing. Uh, How are we doing? Well, it's Halloween. We got a spooky Sunday. And, I I mean, I'm doing great. That was, was, like you said, one of the best college football games in recent memory. Obviously, I don't remember every game ever, but – yeah, I mean, what what more could you ask for from a game? We came into this game wondering if one or both of these teams were legit. Neither of them had really played a great schedule yet and had looked shaky at times. And I think this game proved they're both legit. Um, I know we had a winner and we had a loser in the game. Uh, thankfully, we are on the side of the, of the victors. But uh, both teams looked great. Both teams had their best players making plays. Uh, it was a competitive game. You know, it was back and forth the whole time. It had every ingredient to just a phenomenal storybook college football game. It's exactly what we got. And like I said, thankfully, uh, we're the happy ones today. We're looking at 8-0. We're talking about the playoff. Uh, realistically now, we're talking about Heisman chances for one of our players. Realistically now, um, <laughs> everything's in front of us. And this this season just continues to be far more than anyone expected and i am i'm really excited to dive into this one yeah the you know mel tucker brought it up at the pre uh, pregame and then the commentators obviously hammered on it all game but the the comparison between this and just a heavyweight title fight it, and it it really was it was exchanging body blows it was big plays it was both sides it was the best players on both teams making plays all game long there was you know, on our side, Kenneth Walker and Jaden Reed and Xavier Henderson all making plays on their side. It was, you know, Corum and Haskins were mostly held in check, but had a couple nice plays. Uh, they're, they're obviously their prize guy, Aiden Hutchinson, had a couple big plays. It was just an absolute war for, for 60 minutes out there. Incredible football game. We've obviously talked a lot about 
offline about this game so far. We've we've both rewatched it since yesterday. We were talking during the game. We were talking after the game. We've been talking this today about it. And I've held one question for you because I wanted to get your your instant reaction on the pod, your gut feel. So if we if we rewind this thing back to August, right? And and I said two things are going to be true come Halloween. Number one, Michigan State is going to be eight and no. We're going to control our own destiny for the Big Ten Conference, and we are going to control our own destiny for the college football playoff and everything that comes with it. And we're also going to have a locked and loaded Heisman finalist, arguably a Heisman Trophy front runner. Which of those two things would have shocked you more to hear back in early, mid, late August? Ah, that's a great question. Um, neither of them were expected. Uh, we were talking about Kenneth Walker as the the leader of a stable of backs in our running back room. Um, honestly, if so, I'll I'll counter question you here. I'll I'll finish my answer, but when I'm done, I want to know in the summer who you would have picked as if I told you we're going to have a Heisman front runner. Who's it going to be? Uh, halfway through the season or a little more than halfway through the season. But um, I mean, probably I'd take the undefeated team because Michigan state's been there before Michigan state has had Heisman finalists, uh, a few, not many um, never had a Heisman winner. It, it's a, it's a higher hill to climb than starting a season eight. No, especially with the schedule that we have granted in the summer, Miami looked better. Northwestern looked better. Michigan, didn't look this good, but the schedule in general looked a little tougher probably going into the year than it does looking back. Um, but having a Heisman contender, a Heisman finalist, whatever Kenneth Walker is at this stage, it's, it feels, it feels very foreign to have somebody on Michigan state's team legitimately in this conversation at this point in the season. I mean, sure. We were talking about Le'Veon Bell in like 2012 preseason, Uh, We've had Drew Stanton back in the day because of his dual threat ability. Like these are guys we had our eyes on preseason, but you know, with the way the big 10 worked out and the way the schedule worked out, you know, that didn't become a reality as the season wore on. So it's, yeah, I I probably would have said, give me the eight, no, the eight, no team. Yeah. I think as if we're looking at what's the most surprising I think the Heisman trophy contender, because, you know, we've all watched this offense the last few years. And if you're looking at a Heisman contender halfway through the year, you're, you're going to assume it's someone on the offensive side of the ball. And I just would not have seen that coming, but here we are with Kenneth Walker after a 23 carry 197 yard five touchdown performance in the biggest game of his entire career to this point, after spending a couple of years at wake forest and coming over here, it's just, it's, it's absurd. I, I definitely didn't see either of these coming the eight, no start or the, uh, or the hot start from Kenneth Walker here. But I, I think that would have been more surprising because we, you know, as, as much as we didn't think we would be anywhere near this good at this point of the season, we did talk preseason about how the schedule opens up for us a little bit early and there was a good chance of us entering the Michigan game with one maybe two losses so I I don't think at this point that it's it certainly is shocking uh, completely but if you're asking one or the other that that part is is really really interesting what what I 
because I totally have now blinked and don't remember your question. You said which which player it would have been, right? Right. Preseason, if I told you we're going to have a Heisman finalist nine weeks into the year, yeah. who do you who do you think it will be? Who would you have taken? And I know it's hard to remember exactly where the dialogue was back then. Yeah, your best. I mean, I guess you would have said whoever the quarterback would be just because it's become such a quarterback award, but there wasn't enough hype for Kenneth Walker that I think you would have just said, okay, he's probably going to be the best player on our offense um, that, that you might, I, I guess I would have just said whoever quarterback comes out and wins that battle uh, just because it's become such a quarterback award. And he still has Kenneth Walker still has an uphill battle to climb uh, uphill yeah, I mis- misinterpreted that one. He still has an uphill battle to, to go and get that Heisman Trophy, but I was listening to the Cover 3 podcast and Tom Fernelli on CBS. I mean, he the way he put it was that Kenneth Walker just cemented his place in New York as a Heisman finalist with this game. And so from this point on, it's, it's comparing him to Bryce Young at Alabama, to C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, to Matt Corral at Ole Miss, but none of those guys are really having that eye-popping moment that big game moment that Kenneth Walker just had the most rushing touchdowns against Michigan period full stop ever nobody is in the history of college football nobody has ever ran for five touchdowns against Michigan and (laughs) they've been playing football for a long time man uh it's it's absurd the things that he was doing yesterday just in the open fields uh breaking tackles behind the line of scrimmage using his power using his speed using his agility this kid's got the whole package it's really impressive to watch him on a week-to-week basis and it's just a blast um we'll we'll get to to breaking down the rest of this game because there is a lot to get to we are actually also recording this at right around the time that the ap poll is coming out so we're going to give kind of a live reaction to whatever that comes out to uh, Tuesday evening is the first unveiling of the college football playoff rankings. So we'll be really tuned into that to see uh, if, if again, you say before the season, Michigan state's got a good shot of being in that top four of the initial college football playoff rankings, man. It's, it's a bizarro world season, but Mel Tucker has led this team to, to heights that I don't think many people foresaw early in the season, but before we get to all of that, it is another week of the NFL. It's another week of college football. And DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win 200000 200, I said it again. I DraftKings, I'm trying to give away all your money. You win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. Uh, if DraftKings Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with da- DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving it all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN for the Pigskin Podcast Network, of which we are a proud member. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Scott, 
I don't know if the AP poll has been released. I don't have it up here. We are going to do a little envelope unveiling. So I guess, first of all, is it available for us so we can react to it live? And if not, uh, I'll let you kind of lead the way here and, and decide how we're going to start this thing off. So it is available. I do have it up. I figured we'd get your reaction since one of us has to be the one to uh, to read the envelope. So I am, I don't know, Idris Elba on the Oscar stage right now. I've got my envelope. Um, so before I give you the new ranking, Kevin, where do you think we will land in the AP poll this week? Uh, Prediction-wise, I'm going to say, I, I think when we look at the college football ranking, I think, or college football playoff ranking, I think we got a really good shot of being in that top four. But if if Ohio State's above us already in the AP, if Oklahoma's above us already, if Cincinnati's above us already, I, I really have a hard time seeing us leapfrog those teams. So I'm going to say we bump up to six. We replace Michigan at that six spot. We leapfrog Oregon after they took care of business, but against a bad Colorado team. I'm going to say we land at the six spot. All right. So Michigan dropped to 10. So we obviously passed them. We did leapfrog Oregon. They're still at seven. We are at number five. Ooh. We passed Ohio State. So Ohio State is uh, 44 points behind us now. Um, they dropped a spot even after a big ranked win against Penn State last night. Uh, they didn't make it look really um, – confidence inducing i guess given penn state coming off an ugly loss to illinois maybe that played into it a little bit i mean they, they they won handily but they didn't blow them out or anything and we obviously had the biggest win of the week so <clears throat> kevin number five what do you think uh i <laughs> michigan state's a top five team year two mel tucker here we are uh no it's i i would i would agree with that to this point you have two teams in the same conference in the same division one of them's undefeated and one of them's not. I, and I know we didn't play Oregon early in the year, but when you have that home loss on your resume, um, I, I can absolutely see why voters would, would put Michigan State above them. And I, I would put them above them too. Eight no is big deal. Uh, I would still put them ahead of Oklahoma just because we were kind of talking about this earlier. I mean, Oklahoma, they're also undefeated, also in a Power Five conference, but they haven't played anybody i mean they, their best win so far is texas who i'm pretty sure is unranked right now has four losses and they have had one score games with tulane with nebraska with west virginia with kansas state it's just barely escaped kansas i mean it, it's just not really something that would would really push me to say yeah Oklahoma one of the best football teams in the country yeah they're undefeated and they should be ranked high because of that but when you're looking at comparing Michigan State and Oklahoma two undefeated teams I, I would certainly say that we have the more impressive resume if you look at it on paper so uh, Oklahoma's got that brand name that obviously matters in the AP poll but uh, I would I would have put us above Oklahoma as well but maybe that's just me yeah, we'll see where uh, most of the ballots are. Obviously, you know, we love parsing through the the giant grid of, of ballots that comes out on a weekly basis. And some folks on Twitter like to, uh, you know, take that personally. Um, but in any case, like you said, Mel Tucker, year two, we're eight no. We're in the top five. We got the first college football playoff ranking coming out this week. Once that's out, none of this matters. The AP poll is almost becoming as irrelevant as the coaches poll later in the season. Now that we have this committee 
this ranking committee. And uh, yeah, I think you mentioned it a little bit, but uh, the, the precedent that the committee has has set should play in our favor. Undefeated Power Five team in the hardest division in football with a top ten win. Um, that's not something Oklahoma has. It's not something Alabama has. It's not something Cincinnati has. Not saying we're going to pass all of them, but um, we'll see. Tuesday's going to be interesting, and it's going to be interesting to see how this team handles success, right? Because this team has not seen this level of success this year, last year under Mel Tucker at all. So that added element of pressure. I think Mel Tucker is the, the right kind of coach to manage something like that. But at the end of the day, we haven't seen this team in that position. So Purdue certainly qualifies as a trap game. They have the big win over Iowa earlier this year. They have a high powered offense. We're going to West Lafayette. We'll obviously get into that, uh, that game later this week, but um all kinds of new stuff, new emotions to uh, to manage for this Michigan State team, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, what they look like going forward. Yeah, and, and to piggyback off of that, I will kind of get the the recap going here. But I have uh, a couple things from from the good people, from the listeners. I put out a call. We'll we'll pick through a couple of these to just make sure that we have time to to get through everything we want to talk about. But one. Um, our guy spot Spartan bot. He absolutely deserves a shout out because he's always given us good stuff. Uh, he had a take and a question The take this team believes it can win the big 10 championship and make the playoff. And that was something I, I brought up before the game of, it was just so frustrating to hear people talk about how Michigan is on this path towards the college football playoff and, and playing Ohio state for a shot at the big 10 championship and Michigan State's just kind of happy to be here. Like, no, 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 no. In that locker room, in that building, those guys believe every bit as much as Alabama does that they're ready to to compete and win this whole thing. And we saw that on Saturday with a team that went down early, that went down late in the game and just didn't blink. They they stuck with their process. They stuck with their game plan and, and just ended up taking that game. But the question was, is this the game that changes the little brother perception throughout the state? And if not, how many more wins will it take? Uh, Scott, I'll give you the first crack at this one from Spartan Bot. Does this game change the little brother perception? And if not, how many more wins will it take to, to do that? I saw this one on Twitter when it came in. Shout out Spartan Bot. I love this question. It's a very meaty question, a lot to sink your teeth into. No, it's not going to erase <laughs> that attitude. Um, because this is the little brother attitude is one of the only things that the Michigan fan base has left to help hold on to in this rivalry. It is, it's ingrained in them. They need to feel superior somehow. And to some of the Michigan folks uh, who I know who are a little bit more respectful, understand it's not everyone in the fan base. It's just a loud, very loud faction of that fan base that feels this way, but um, they they need it. I mean, you saw it with Taylor Lewan and the way he was behaving before the game. He went one and four against Michigan State, and he decides to pipe up in a press conference and go nuts and act like for no other reason than they will. Been thick-tude mentality conversation a lot this season, and honestly, I'm a little brother. Kevin, you're a little brother. I'm okay with embracing that the the fact of the matter is we are a younger program we don't have as much success before world war ii than than michigan does they were around earlier they're older um but we're both grown up now 
Um, we're the younger brother to Michigan in terms of how long we've been around, but we're a stronger program now. And, and I'm fine with that. That's why the little brother talk, it doesn't bother me. And like I said, I am a little brother personally, and um, it's fine. We can be the little brother and be the better football program. So the, the, the only way to get rid of this stigma is for Michigan State fans to, let it, to stop letting it bother them. And I know that's easier said than done. There's a lot wrapped up in it. But at the end of the day, the only reason they say it so much is because they know it gets under our skin. So if you want the stigma to go away, just move on from all of it. Just stay above it, laugh at them, and move on. Yeah, I was going to say the, the biggest reason that it's definitely not a game that will take away that little brother thing is because of Taylor Lewan. You said it perfectly. Like The fact that they have a former Michigan player who was a high draft pick, who's had a successful NFL career, who's an absolute scumbag of a human being, but um, you know, elevates their football program, I guess, who went what one in three against Michigan state. And, and he's still talking about little brother. Like that's the whole reason that this thing will never go away because Michigan fans, that's just how they are. He goes personally one in three in a rivalry game and still says, Oh, they're a little brother. We're going to beat the shit out of them. Like that's just, that's how they are. And that's how they will always be. That's how they always have been. So um, like you said, if, if you keep letting it bother you, I guess they're just going to keep doing it uh, for whatever reason. And the best part about it uh, for me is that Michigan fans have already taken to the excuses. Again, Scott like, goes back to last week. There was a 40% chance of rain and a hundred percent chance of excuses. Uh, they're already talking about the refs. They're already talking about this and that. So they just refuse to accept for whatever reason that, Hey, you went out, you beat us. Uh, we played a close game. It was a tight game, two good teams, but you guys were better. That that phrase will never be uttered by 95% of Michigan fans. There, there are good Michigan fans out there. I believe it, but there aren't very many of them. And most of them will just cling on to some excuses and refuse to give us credit, which is just, it's why we hate them so much. It's why this rivalry is so much fun. It's why this rivalry is so... Um, action-packed it's so physical of a football game and it's the reason that come the fourth quarter of the the game yesterday my heart rate was like 350 beats per per second or minute or whatever might as well have been per second because I was pacing the living room I sat down for like a collective four minutes in that whole game uh, because the stakes are so high in this state and it's just something that plays into it so as far as the game goes, uh, we'll get into some cause for pause, if you will, later in the game, later in the podcast. There are some things that we come out of this, and as we look ahead in the schedule, as we look ahead in the season, that we say, okay, maybe this is going to be a problem. There's a couple injuries that are, are going to be question marks coming out of this one, but obviously, here after what happened yesterday, we have to start positive. So I, I guess we'll we'll kind of structure this a little bit on both sides of the ball. So let's start on the Michigan State offense. Uh, what really stood out to you, Scott? Obviously, the historic performance by Kenneth Walker uh, is getting a lot of hype and praise out there. But after re-watching it, watching it live, uh, what were some of your big takeaways from the Michigan State offense yesterday? Yeah, when we were previewing this game, uh, one of my biggest keys to the game was to win the battle in the trenches. Uh, first and foremost, every year, you know, a lot has been made 50, 45 of the last 52 matchups. The, the team that ran the ball better won the game. I guess that's 46 of, of 53 now. 
Um, and on the Michigan State offensive side, when we were trying to run the ball, our offensive line had a great game by their standards. They did not – I wouldn't say it was a dominant performance. Uh, Michigan's defensive line is a very strong group, and they made plays, especially their defensive ends, Hutchinson and uh, Ojabo. But um, we opened up enough holes. I mean, obviously, Kenneth Walker had a lot of success. And, you know, a lot of the home runs that Kenneth Walker has has run for this season prior to this game were, were – you know, nothing going on inside cuts it outside and just wins the, the edge and, and takes it home. And he had a couple of those uh, in the game yesterday, but he also had a couple where, you know, he had, as they call it, a friendly wall of butts on the inside The the blocks were set up perfectly. The tight ends were blocking. Well, when we had, you know, an H back in the backfield, they were blocking well and the play went exactly where they wanted it to. Kenneth Walker had to make one safety miss and the rest was just open field. And, you know, that performance from Kenneth Walker yesterday does not happen without a serious step up in performance by the offensive line and the blockers across the field, tight ends, wide receivers, um, everybody, everybody did their part to make that happen. Kenneth Walker, he mentioned it after the game. And I know this is because he's just a really humble guy, but he said it was a great team win. And it really was um, the offensive line in the passing game. Okay. They, sh- they were shaky at times. Um, obviously Peyton Thorne didn't have his best game. But when we needed to run the ball and we wanted to control the ground game, they did exactly what they needed to against a really strong front seven from Michigan. And that was my probably biggest key for this offense and and why we won this game. You know, what was amazing. I I was looking through this is almost every single drive was either a touchdown for Michigan state or we didn't get a first down. It was just, it was either just a horrible, you know, you get a a holding and we get backed up and, and can't get a first down or we drive down the length of the field and score a touchdown. It it was, and, and the touchdown drives were, uh, let's see here. I got it pulled up here. 75 yards, 75 yards, 75 yards, 86 yards and 41 yards with the last one. It was a, a game where, in terms of looking at the offensive side of the ball, it felt like it, I'd said this at the time and it, it felt like even more rewatching it where every time we needed a touchdown, we got the touchdown. I, the opening drive of the second quarter, even where Michigan comes down, they have that huge play on the first drive to, to score with Andrell Anthony, the, the second drive of the game, they, they moved the ball a little bit and then had to punt it away and then they got the field goal after our second interception on a short field. And you're starting to think like, oh boy, uh, this, this thing is not looking good early. We're down 10, nothing. And if not for a holding call on, uh, on Andrew Anthony holding Chester Kimbrough right next to the end zone there, that could easily be a 14, nothing first quarter. And you're down in a hole and they're getting confident. They're getting cocky. And it was just like, all right, we need points. We just need to get on the board here, settle this game down. Five plays, 75 yards later, it was a big Jalen Naylor reception. It was uh, a big Jaden Reed reception. It was a touchdown. And then obviously later on in the game, it was just every time they scored, we matched them. Every time we needed a touchdown, we got one. And, And it was just clutch plays left and right. And, and the biggest guy I want to credit for it, obviously Kenneth Walker, but Peyton Thorne, who statistically did not have a very good game. Uh, you, you're looking at uh, a box score line of 19 for 30, 
196 yards and two interceptions. And you would look at that and say, wow, he, he really didn't have a good game. And all in all, he didn't. But I compared it to a Connor Cook performance in that every time we needed the play, it was third down, it was fourth down, it was it was in the red zone, he made the play. I obviously, he had that fourth down pass to Jaden uh, Reed. It was just a little corner fade route, and it was just dropped it in the bucket, a beautiful throw. Uh, there was another fourth down conversion to Jalen Naylor, which was just a drop your nuts on the table play call by Jay Johnson running that little like pop pass Jalen Naylor fake to his blocking and then just took off screaming down the middle of the field. Uh, there was there was a bunch of key. There was a third down reception late by Connor Hayward. There was a third and 10. He converted to Jaden Reed on one of the last drives. It was just every time we needed him. He got it done. And the rest of the game, it was shaky. There was missed throws. There were turnovers. But I got to give credit for Peyton Thorne because he never blinked. He never lost confidence. And he just kept making big clutch play after big clutch play late in that game and just kept momentum going, kept drives going on third down. And and I give him all the credit in the world in, in what is probably the biggest game of his life for stepping up in some of those big moments. Yeah, I saw uh, a quote after the game that um, someone had asked Mel Tucker about that. Mel Tucker told Peyton Thorne before the game that you and I need to be the calm in the eye of the storm today. And you saw that. I mean, you mentioned Peyton Thorne had an awful first quarter. Those two interceptions came in the first quarter. The first one, I mean, it was basically an arm punt. It was third down. We were going to punt the next time. But you still don't want to throw picks. The second one is kind of unlucky, throws it off a dude's face, and, and it happens to fall into the lap of another Michigan defender. Um, and, and Joel Klatt mentioned it, you know, have a short memory and you got to be stable for your teammates. And that's exactly what he did. And, you know, that's becoming a theme, another kind of key to the game here. It's not so much X's and O's, but just the mental fortitude through adversity in this game. You mentioned, we went down 10, nothing early. Our offense to that point had gone six plays with an interception, four plays with a punt five plays with an interception. Michigan had drove the field one and a half times. They've got 10 points. I'm already thinking like, oh no, we're outmatched. Michigan State's just not the better team here. We're going to have a long day. And they write the ship. They get on the board, then they give up you know, a field goal, then they get another touchdown. And even going into the half, down nine, coming out of the half, down 16. At that point, I'm like, I think I texted you and I said, this is either going to be one of the best comebacks we've ever seen in this series or it's just not going to be our day. And reading um, interviews about, you know, in that moment from the players, everybody just says, well, you know, Coach Tuck just says, we got to be ready for that. We got to keep chopping. We got to stay where we're at. And, and this is really why I think Mel Tucker is a legit top coach in the country. He's got 18 to 22, 23-year-old kids. These are kids. And he keeps their mindset perfectly in step, no matter how bad a game gets, to be ready to make plays, to be ready to get into that fourth quarter, to get into the deep water, to get into the championship rounds, whatever platitude he's he's using in that moment. Just make plays and just don't flinch. And, and that's really one of the harder things to do as a college football coach. Like I mentioned, these kids are young and they get emotional and it's hard to keep their head on straight. And Mel Tucker's got a hundred and whatever, you know, players on his team and they all just keep the bow pointed straight keep making plays when they need to and it's we really saw it in this game I and mean, we've seen it in other games Nebraska went to overtime and they stayed there but this was the entire game 
from the first series when we threw that interception. This team knew how to rebound mentally and stay in the game. And uh, and and I think that was one of the major differences in this game. It was, Michigan it was a huge story. It. it was a huge story, dude, because there were three times in this game. I, I marked him down every time as I was watching it live with everybody else. And, and I kind of re- revisited it in my rewatch today where I wrote it down. I said, uh-oh. Like, not necessarily completely losing faith, but every Michigan State fan out there listening knows there was a couple moments in that game where you're just thinking, oh, no. And, and there was the the early one where, you know, obviously they had that touchdown, but then the next drive, they started driving. And as they got into the red zone to go up potentially 14 nothing, it was Oh boy. Uh, and then we fought right back. And then there was another, you know, when, when they scored to go up 16 in the third quarter, it was, Oh boy, uh, this is going to be a tough comeback. Right. And then later on in the game, again, Michigan gets that field goal to go up three points. And then Michigan state on their next drive, we went three and out and Peyton Thorne got sacked twice, fumbled it once. Luckily we fell on top of it. And then when Behringer punted it away, they had a good punt return that got them just about to midfield. And I'm thinking, oh, no, it's it's just there were three moments in that game where you thought we are probably if I'm objectively looking at this game, not as a fan, I'm thinking, well, that that's probably the, the moment that Michigan might seal this game. And every time, like you said, man, that whole team was just singular straight ahead didn't blink, kept chopping as, as he likes to say, and just kept fighting and fighting and fighting and got back into the game. Every time they scored, we answered every time we needed it, we got it. And it's just a testament to how he coaches this team to be ready and to be prepared. There were guys out there, you know, we, we talked about it in the group chat as at the time. And then we talked about it later on, like Justin white. We're like, who the hell is this guy coming in? flying home uh, to, to get the pressure on Cade McNamara, to get the hit on Cade McNamara, to, to force a bad throw. He had two solo tackles in this game as well. Uh, guys that you hadn't heard of were stepping up. Freshmen were stepping up. Obviously, Chuck Brantley. Like, we'll get to the defensive side later, but it, it was just big play after big play for this team. Jaden Reed is another guy I want to give a shout-out. The stat line. It, it was impressive, but nothing that we haven't seen him do. Six catches, 80 yards. But there was the one drive where he had back-to-back plays. There was that catch on the sideline that was reviewed, ultimately reviewed, ruled as a catch where it got tipped, he bobbled it, and then you know got, got his hands on it right before he dragged the toes on the sideline. Beautiful catch. And then the very next play or, or the very next successful play, I don't remember, was the one where he picked it off the ground. Uh, just a beautiful catch there. And then Reed uh, Thorne dropped it in the bucket towards the end zone. He got the two point conversion on that drive as well, where he just went up and mossed the guy. He had a couple big moments in this game. He converted a third and 10 later on in the game. So the stat line doesn't really tell the whole story with Reed because the plays that he was making were, were huge in the moments and really just backbreakers for that Michigan team. And I think he definitely deserves a shout out. We'll see with, with Jalen Naylor, we'll, we'll get to him a little bit later on, but um, he's going to have to step up here potentially in the next couple of weeks. And and he showed he's certainly capable of it. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned 
they're just guys coming out of the woodwork. Montori Foster has to come in for Jalen Naylor after he gets hurt and, and has two catches. I mean, they, he was not a, a big name storyline in this one, but he, both of his catches, I think were for first downs and key spots in the game. Um, he forced and, another uh, pass interference, I believe too. So if you want to count that for his total, another 15 yards stacked on there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a great, great performance by this offense, the passing game. So we talked about this a little bit. I was surprised um, at Michigan's game plan. We talked in the preview that, and previously before other matchups that when you look at this Michigan state team, do you take away the deep ball or do you take away the running game? It's really hard to game plan against both because you need specific guys to be in one place or another to stop those two things. And Michigan decided they were not going to give up the deep ball. Um, and they didn't, they did a great job taking that away. You saw it in play action. You saw a flea flicker attempt. Really the only time they got beat over the top was a fourth and one where it was a, it was a goal line package they had on the field and it was a great play call. But all in all, they took away those deep balls, and we were looking for them. But they gave us a weaker box, and Kenneth Walker feasted on it. And I'm, I'm just really surprised that's the direction they decided to go because of how important the running game is in this matchup specifically. You know, we know the, the team that runs the ball better in this game wins this game. And, and they opened up holes for Kenneth Walker are maybe they thought, you know, their defensive line was better than our offensive line enough that they'd be able to shut it down. But we ran it between the tackles. We kept it away from their uh, defensive ends who were keeping contain and, uh, and Kenneth Walker had a career day. Um, So, yeah, I mean, obviously Kenneth Walker and everybody else on the field had to, had to execute, but I was really surprised to see Michigan give as much to us on the inside as they did. Yeah, and, and to wrap it up on the offensive side of the ball, it, it just comes down to Michigan comes into this game 10th in the country at opponent opponent's points per game against, and Michigan State went in there and put together a perfect game plan and hung 37 on them. And, and that was just a testament to how explosive this team can be on the offensive side of the ball, to how good Kenneth Walker's been all year long and just the resilience of this team again to just come back every time we needed to play was so impressive and and so proud of the way that they fought and fought and fought four quarters of this football game they didn't bat an eye they didn't blink they never lost confidence in, in their game plan in their talent in their players it was just it was such an impressive performance by this offense and and just so proud of the way they kept fighting on the defensive side of the ball now, you know, we, I kind of mentioned this before we started recording. It was if the game plan going in, which was something that we talked about in the preview, was all right, sell out, stop the run game, and make Cade McNamara in this passing offense beat you because they haven't been put in that position all year long. And if, if you're going to beat this Michigan team and, and if you're going to try to shut down this offense, that's probably the best way to do it. And by the end of the game, you're looking at their two workhorse backs, the their two of the best backs in the Big Ten, best running back tandem in the Big Ten that, as they were touting it up. Hassan Haskins goes for 59 yards on 4.2 yards per carry. Blake Corum goes for 45 yards on three and a half yards a carry. We shut down their running game more than anybody else in the country by a mile that they've played to this point of the year. 
the problem was Cade McNamara for a while was just carving us up, man. Those, those tight ends, Eric all finishes the game with 10 catches for 98 yards. And every single one of them seemed like it was on third down. Uh, Andrew Anthony, the East Lansing product had a monster game. I, I was talking about how before, uh, you know, during the game, I didn't want to verbalize it because I didn't want to just put that juju into the universe. But I was like, man, the, this Andrew Anthony game is their Ricky White game. It's just the freshman that comes out of nowhere, explodes in this game and, and throws the game plan out of the book. Uh, Andrew Anthony had a huge day through the air. Mike Sandstrill had a couple big plays. And if, if we were talking about our game plan, it, we worked it as best as we could. We shut down the running game. If we're looking at Michigan's game plan, they basically abandoned the run for, for big chunks of that game and said, all right, if, if we're going to be able to beat them through the air, we're going to do it. Cade McNamara throws for damn near 400 yards, but we just, again, it, it comes, keeps coming into play. And I was listening to a national podcast and they were talking about it and how Michigan state there, they went into this game and they played red zone roulette as, as it was described. And it's a really risky way to play. And it is, it absolutely is to, to give up red zone position on a, a large percentage of opposing drives is a very risky play way to play football. But when it's part of your identity, when it's part of your game plan, uh, it's, it's something that you know how to perform down there. You know how to scheme it up down there. And it just, again, kept holding Michigan out of the end zone and something that we've seen all year long from this Michigan state defense and something that, you know, is, is really nerve wracking and stressful, but when Jake Moody kicks four field goals in the game, that's a really good sign because that that's four potential touchdowns that you're taking off the board. So credit to the the defensive staff for, again, it, it kind of goes back to what we were saying, this resiliency and the way that they just stuck to their guns and in a good way, we're stubborn and said, this is our game plan. We're not going to get out of it just because we're down 10 points. We're not going to get out of it just because we're down 16 points. We keep playing the way we play. And eventually it's going to work. We're going to keep chopping. And and the game plan came into fruition there and just did just enough every time they got down into the red zone to force those four field goals. And that was huge individually, Scott, or, or you can also, if I missed anything, kind of big picture on the defensive side of the ball, uh, where do you want to take that? Yeah, I'm going to start in the trenches again. Um, I mentioned it to start on the offensive side. I thought that Michigan's offensive line um, – they had a good game in in one facet of the game. They did not allow a pass rush at all. It was by far the best pass blocking game I have seen against us this year, and it's not close. We had I, technically the stat sheet says zero QB hurries. I think I'd count one when uh, when Justin White you mentioned Drew yeah, McNamara. If, if that's not a QB hurry, man, <laughs> I don't know what is. <laughs> but no sacks. We had one tackle for loss. Xavier Henderson had that on a key third down. Um, it was, it was a really strong performance by their offensive line in the passing game. They gave Cade McNamara time and clear looks and he, he took advantage of it. Credit to them. Cade McNamara looks like a legit passer. Uh, I think that raises more questions than answers for university of Michigan and their coaching staff and why they're not using him more, but I digress. Um, but you mentioned our game plan, stop the run. It's what Michigan didn't do against us. It's what we decided to do against them. And it worked, and it starts with our defensive tackles. Jacob Slade did what he's been doing all year. He was very disruptive. 
but the guy that I think won this game above anyone else was Simeon Barrow. This dude, we've been talking about him all year. His name bubbled up in spring practice as, as somebody to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, he looked great in the spring game. But still, we didn't even think he was going to be a starter this year. We, I don't think anyone was predicting that. And now he's playing just as good as Jacob Slade. He had play after play after play. I texted you a couple of clips. Key moment, Michigan was driving. It was one of the drives where he forced a field goal. Second down, they ran it off tackle to the uh, left side of the field. Simeon Barrow was the weak side defensive tackle. He blew up a guard into the backfield, raked down the line, and, and got the dude at the line of scrimmage. They were going to pick up a first down. Next play, third down, he just knifes straight through, almost untouched. The guard wasn't even out of his stance by the time Barrow gets past him and, and forces a quick throw. Again, probably another one that should have been counted as a QB hurry that wasn't for whatever reason. But Barrow was very disruptive. Our defensive tackles – you're going to be hard pressed to find a better set, especially if you're counting the depth guys. Jalen Hunt had disruptive plays as well. Deshaun Mallory got into the backfield a couple of times. If you take that whole group, I don't know if there's a better defensive tackle room in the country right now. No, those guys played great ball. There, there was a couple times early in the game, especially where I was getting a little bit worried because there was a couple slipped arm tackles. I, I noticed Jade Jacob Slade, especially, uh, there was one, I remember Blake Corum coming through the hole and, and Slade just tried to get him down with an arm tackle and he ran right through it. And I'm thinking, ah, okay, like that's, that's not a great sign, but like you said, all in all, they absolutely did their jobs in terms of just holding blocks, holding their line and, and allowing the linebackers to, to funnel through and, and make plays when, when the defensive line is doing their job in the run game it means that your linebackers are getting a lot of tackles because they're, they're not allowing the offensive linemen to get up to that second level uh, to block Quaver's Crouch or Cal Holiday. And they're allowed to basically roam free and, and find the holes, find the running backs and, and Quaver's Crouch, Cal Holiday, both with double digit tackles. Um, I want to highlight three guys, defensive backs who going into this game were not mentioned as keys to the game. I think that you would look at Xavier Henderson as a leader. And of course he played a great game as he always does, but there were three defensive backs. I thought that if you are looking at a rivalry game, if you're looking at a top 10 game, you're going to need guys to step up who haven't really been the dude all year long. And you're going to need some of those performances. And the first one was Darius snow who played lights out football. He is, I, I brought it up in a text like, he is Xavier Henderson 2.0. The guy is absolutely money in the open field. He had a couple great tackles on Eric All, the tight end, to you know just force them into third downs, to force them behind that first down marker where you know we might give up the catch, but you make that tackle right away. Uh, it, it's a big deal. And Darius Snow in the open field was absolutely money all day long making big plays. He had a couple plays right at the line of scrimmage on, on a couple. There was one swing pass to Hassan Haskins. I think it was that he took care of business on that one. Um, and then the other guys were Justin white. Again, it just comes out of absolutely nowhere. He had a couple tackles, but the big play that he made was, was just knifing into Cade McNamara's ribs, uh, which you could argue might've been a, penalty but you know it's, it's not called and and we move on to play another down and and he was just shot out of a cannon we were looking at him and like trying to figure out who the hell is this guy and 
Uh, it turns out that he was somebody in the offseason that that his name was obviously brought up because he was an incoming transfer from Division Two Colorado Mesa, who hasn't played since the 2019 season because he sat out last year due to, due to COVID. Uh, but he's a track guy, and he has, you know, he he full on switched over to track for for the the season last year, sixty meter sprint kind of guy, and and you saw that speed on display where coaching staff just put him out there and said, all right, your job is to run as fast as you can and go hit the quarterback, and he did just that. And then the third guy in terms of defensive backs that stepped up is blatantly obvious. It's Chuck Brantley who came in played most of his snaps in the second half. Didn't really see a whole lot of him in the, in the first half, but made his presence felt right away in that third quarter. He had a couple big open field tackles, a couple big hits. We've, we've talked about him as being just a really physical player, especially considering his age and his size, but obviously that interception to seal it one hander, he goes up, makes the play, that will be that will be legendary in this rivalry for Michigan State fans as as long as time marches on we'll remember Chuck Brantley the freshman coming in and sealing that game with the interception i f- i forget who it was it was another freshman that they were asking about um after the game and it was i think it was his roommate that was just saying like yeah man we we talk about these moments all the time you know you're sitting in the room and you're talking about like you know what you're what you're going to do with your career and and how everything's going to play out and it was just like you know these these are moments that we talk about all the time and Chuck Brantley just had that moment he just had that time as a true freshman to seal a top 10 game to seal the biggest rivalry in the state uh just an incredible play but had a few more in this game as well it wasn't just the interception so a huge shout out to Chuck Brantley the freshman getting the job done again after we called his name a lot early in the year. And then he, he kind of the, the snaps weren't really as high the last couple of weeks and, and haven't really called his name a whole lot, but made his presence felt yesterday. Yeah. I think it was Michael gravely. I think it's his roommate yeah. who is a true freshman safety uh, on the team right now, redshirting this year. But yeah, I mean, what a moment for a guy like that. And you talk about, being physical at all 22 positions, Mel Tucker obviously is huge on physicality. Every football coach is, but you know, you look at a game and you're how, how does, how does being physical really impact the game? Obviously in the trenches or when you're tackling a guy, you want to hit somebody hard, but how does it really, you look at that Justin white hit, right? You could look at it as, you know, another play. It, it had some of its own momentum just based on the play forced and incompletion at a key moment. But then you look at the implications. That was the, as far as I can remember, the only real hit we had on McNamara, there was another time he got thrown to the ground late. Drew Jordan uh, got a really boneheaded um, roughing the passer call, but it wasn't really a hit. It was more just kind of shoved in. That was the only time we hit Cade McNamara. Well, when JJ McCarthy came in and fumbled the ball, Cade McNamara was in the tent and I'm not advocating for injuries. I never want anyone to get injured. And Cade McNamara thankfully was able to come back into the game So don't take this the wrong way that I want to injure guys, but make a very physical play. Cade McNamara can't be on the field because of that play. JJ McCarthy comes in. He's a true freshman. They didn't call anything outside what they had been calling with him normally, but either way, you've got a true freshman quarterback in, in a very key moment in a rivalry game. He fumbles the football. We get it back. That is the singular play that gave us the the final momentum swing to win this game. And it's just those little, you know, coaches talk about it in, in a 
game, especially a game as tight as this, there might be five to 10 plays in the entire game that determine the, the outcome of the game. And, you know, looking back, you can try to find those. And I think that was one of them because Michigan had recaptured the momentum at that point in the game. You had mentioned already, I think that's the drive. They ended up getting a field goal or the drive after that. Uh, they got that last field goal to take the lead 33-30. And, uh, and things were shifting out of our way. But like we said, Mel Tucker, he preaches physicality and he preaches playing all four quarters, all 60 minutes. And that's what we did. We kept making plays. And I think that was a huge key from a dude who literally I saw number 30 on that play. And I said to myself, I felt embarrassed that I had no idea who it was. I'm like, how can a guy be on the field in this stage that I have no clue who he is and I have to look him up, but that's just a testament to having everyone in a Jersey ready to come on the field and make plays. You mentioned the other guys, uh, Chuck Brantley, him against Andre Anthony is going to be an awesome matchup for the next couple of years. We'll see if either of them are good enough to leave early, but uh, true freshman on true freshman, they were lining up against each other. Most of the fourth quarter, just awesome. Andre Anthony looks phenomenal. I'm, <laughs> I think it's safe to say, Michigan state fans can be bummed. He didn't pick us. That dude looks exceptional. He's got speed. He can jump. He can run routes. He's got hands really, really great player, but Chuck Brantley made plays against him when we needed to. Um, and that's going to be a great matchup. And uh, yeah, I mean, just the whole defense, just like the offense, it just felt like when we needed to play, you get a little bit of that magic. Same thing happened in 2015 when you just have these games in these seasons where, it just feels like there's a little extra tide pushing your team to the top um, and, and making plays when they need to. And it's probably just comes down to mentality. Uh, that's really the difference. And, uh, and, and it came out in our favor uh, in this one. Yeah. And the other positives, I mean, Quaver's crouch just again, talked about it before, but continues week by week, by week, by week, getting better and better and better and more comfortable. Uh, he had a couple big plays, obviously stopping the punter, on that uh, Simmons, I think was who was the punter's name? Uh, Brad Simmons, I want to say. He he tried to yeah, Brad Robbins. Sorry, yeah, he tried Robbins. to pull the the Zoltan Mesco fake punt. Uh, obviously, he bobbled it and just decided to take off. I I think just from watching it again, I think he had enough time to get a punt off. I I don't think it would have been a great punt, but I, I think he could have gotten it off. But he almost got that first down, man. He outran Jacob Slade to the edge. And then luckily, it, it, this comes back to Mich uh, Michigan State and Mel Tucker talking about earlier on in this year how he wants starters on special teams because we've had we had struggles with them all of last year. And that's why Quaveris Crouch was out there on that play. And without Quaveris Crouch out there on that play, he might get that first down because we've we've talked about how athletic Crouch is in the middle of that uh, middle of the field and his ability to get to the sideline just in time to make that play was huge. He had a couple other great plays throughout the course of the game. Cal Halliday had a monster game, man. It, it felt like every time that we had a big run stuff where it was third and three, uh, I think Cal, there was third and three late in the game. Cal had a big stop. Um, there was a couple other big ones that, that were just key moments that he felt like he stepped up and made plays in the run game. Um, and then I, one that I, he only really popped once, but Jalen Hunt, it was nice to see him back on the field early in the game. He had a really nice tackle right at the line of scrimmage. Um, didn't really see him making a, a huge impact the rest of the game, but 
you know, he's a name that he's, he's been dealing with some injuries this year. So it's good to see him back out on the field. Um, there are a couple things, questionable things that I want to get to really quick here. Scott, any other positives here on the defensive side of the ball? Is any other shout outs that you want to give? Uh, Jeff Petrovsky had a great uh, couple plays. He wasn't on the field too much with Drew Beasley being back. Uh, awesome that Drew Beasley's back, but Petrovsky had a couple stops in the run game, big plays, just got leverage on his blocker and, and made a, you know, a nice tackle on the inside in the scrum. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we covered almost everyone. Um, I'm going to save a couple guys for maybe the, the area for improvement. We'll get into that, but, but all in all, I mean, Michigan is a really stout offensive team. They do their fundamentals. Well, it's not easy to make big chaos plays against them. And this, this team did a great job taking advantage of uh, the opportunities that they had to make plays and, and they made just enough. Yeah. So we'll swing negative here for a little bit before going back to the positive again, as we always do, we'll, we'll finish this off with the game balls and the play of the game, but there are some questionable things. And I want to start this off with a question we had from Isaac Krause. Uh, first of all, just he, he had a take that I'll throw in here. He said, after the question marks early on in the season with Mel's game management, it was incredible to see how calm and collected he was down 16. Um, something we've talked about, but for a question with Naylor looking like he will be out, who do you anticipate taking on a bigger role? And this will kind of lead us into some of the worries that we have coming out of the game. One of them being injuries. Jalen Naylor was in, it looked like a, a soft cast, but th- at the end of that game on the sideline in that bright green neon green cast, um, hopefully that is just a sprain or, or something. We, we probably won't get a lot of information because Mel Tucker, much like Mark D'Antonio really doesn't like talking about injuries. Jacob Panishuk went down with about two minutes left in the game. Uh, so hopefully we'll, we'll have some good news from those guys, but two injuries, Scott, um, Naylor, obviously I think the bigger one here because of the, the depth that we have at defensive end, we saw plenty of Jordan. We've seen plenty of Petrovsky this year. Um, I think we can fill in to that spot a little bit easier if need be for the next few weeks here, but with Naylor going out, uh, how does this change the offense? Who needs to step up? What are your thoughts there? Well, we know who's going to step up first and foremost, uh, unless anything at practice changes things dramatically. Montori Foster was in almost every snap after Jalen Naylor went down and uh, played basically the entire second half. Had I mentioned a couple pretty key catches. And at this point in the season, I think the pecking order is pretty established. I mean, obviously you want to see how guys do in live snaps in, in game scenarios, but um, right now it looks like Montori Foster is going to be the guy. Uh, he's a guy that a lot of guys, a lot of folks were excited to see coming into this game, but you've got guys behind him, Terry Lockett, obviously Keon Coleman. I'm sure plenty of folks would love to see him see the field a little bit more, but right now I think it'll be Foster. Um, the end of the day, it just takes a little bit of your home run ability away, right? I mean, that's what mm-hmm. Jalen Naylor is for this offense. Not saying he can't do more than that, but he's the guy we like to run down the seam and, and throw it up to, and uh, and you lose that a little bit. So you're going to have to play a little bit underneath. Um, it makes it tough. You know, Jaden Reed is getting a lot of attention from opposing defenses, and rightfully so. He still had 80 yards in this game, but he's not getting a, a ton of looks uh, from a game plan perspective. And I, I expect that to continue. So it's just Jay Johnson's going to have to continue to be creative. And I think you could see a little bit more of uh, Trey Mosley, somebody who had a really quiet game 
he did have the two-point conversion, uh, the first two-point conversion yesterday, which was obviously a key moment. But all in all, really quiet game. And uh, we're just going to have to start calling his number a little bit more. He's now the number two receiver if Naylor continues to be out. And, uh, and we'll have to see what he can do. He's had breakout games already this year, and I think he can certainly contribute in a big way. But, yeah, losing Jalen Naylor uh, just takes a little bit of that over the top, you know, take the top off of defense ability from our offense, and, and we'll have to continue to uh, to just execute underneath. Yeah, that's that's really what sticks out to me. Is I, I think we have talent behind Naylor, and I don't think it's going to be a, too big of an issue in that sense. But it is just an element in the offense that none of the backups really give. Trey Mosley is much more of a possession guy, uh, and the same goes with Foster. So I think those two will step in admirably and and do what needs to be done to pick up first downs to to get catches. But it does leave an element of this offense out that that we've been using and and utilizing all year long. So. Trey Mosley will have to step up. Like you said, Montori Foster will have to step up. Maybe there's another receiver. Um, maybe it is Lockett. Maybe it is Keon Coleman. Maybe it is Christian Fitzpatrick, who we saw earlier this year. It's a 6-4 frame. Uh, it's something that this offense, it, you know, if, if we're going to change the identity a little bit based on losing Naylor, uh, maybe that's an element that we want to bring in. Maybe it's the tight ends that that start getting a little more attention. Uh, we saw Malik Carr. There was a design play for him. He got a catch and then just he slipped and fell right as he got it. But it was a play that was clearly designed for him. Uh, maybe he's somebody that starts getting a little bit more involved. Uh, but other than the injuries, I think there were a couple things that we have to note in that the the biggest thing for me was the Michigan tight ends. I, I mentioned it earlier. They were killing us all game long. So the just generally pass defense over the middle of the field uh, that Andrell Anthony 90, whatever yard touchdown was a play that it was a simple crossing route that he caught right over the middle of the field and then just hit the gas and, and took off for 97 yards. But it, it was a lot of catches over the middle of the field yesterday. Most of them went to the tight ends. So I noticed there were a couple. It was a lot of shared blame. It wasn't on one guy. Quiveris Crouch missed an assignment on all um, and just got beaten man-to-man coverage. Angelo Gross got beat a couple times. So that's something that I think Ohio State does a really good job of attacking the middle of the field. Uh, We've seen Purdue mostly attacks the boundaries, so I don't think it's going to come into play as much there. But, you know, there are some offenses coming up here that that if that is a trend and now that's on tape, and you know coaches are going to try to exploit it. Uh, how are we going to adjust defensively? Because that that was killing us all game long. Uh, I'm not really sure what the fix is there, but I, I'm sure the, that Scotty Hazleton's going to have to get in the lab and try to figure that out. And then, you know, the other thing for me, I, I gave credit to Peyton Thorne uh, as, as he well deserves, but the the other thing is if if we're looking at at some negatives coming out of this game or or maybe at least just some reasons for for a little bit of worry this is now back to back games from thorn where he's thrown multiple interceptions where he's been under 200 yards passing and so i i just you know it's it's against two pretty tough defenses but at the end of the day uh there were some throws that he left out on the field and there were a couple times where I was screaming at the TV because he had an easy lane to run. Uh, it, he was out scrambling and just tried to make a play throwing the ball instead of just picking up five, six, seven yards on the ground. And some, I, I like the mentality of that where, where you're keeping your eyes downfield, trying to make a big play with your arm. But 
when the yards are there, take them. And, and he didn't do that a couple times. It was frustrating, but you know, he's, he's gotta just, he's gotta be in, he's gotta find that rhythm. I think. And, and you mentioned it earlier when Michigan state started going tempo, it, it felt like he, he was performing a lot better. He seems a lot more comfortable in that situation, but uh, yeah, that's, that's two weeks now where we've come out and said, you know, statistically Peyton Thorne, it, it's his two worst games of his career so far. And so he's got to bounce back in a big way. It can't all be the Kenneth Walker show all the time. Uh, and it can't be an offense just predicated on big plays. It, it's got to be some intermediate stuff. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to start incorporating that a lot more. And, and Peyton Thorne on a down to down basis. Um, I think he'll be the first one to tell you has to get better. Yeah, he uh, he didn't have a great game. I mean, we mentioned that from the top. Um, he was a great leader in the game. He stayed calm, and he he kept the offense where it needed to be. There were a couple times when we were going to end up with a uh, alignment penalty, and he either got us right or got a timeout. So he's got his head where it needs to be. But um, when he gets hurried up, when, when our offensive line is struggling with a, a, a stronger pass rushing front, um, he loses his accuracy, he loses his footwork a little bit. And you saw it on some of these, like you said, short and intermediate throws. There was a couple of short throws to the flats. He had one to Kenneth Walker, that one to Malik Carr, where they were underthrown and the guys were trying to come back. Sometimes they'd catch it, sometimes they wouldn't. But uh, And then he had one later that was really good, what you want to see in that situation. It was actually Kenneth Walker's only reception of the game where he put it right out in front of him so he could catch it in stride and, and move downfield. Um, he hasn't been hitting that as frequently. There was one early when our offense was struggling to get moving. It was third and uh, five or six. And uh, he had nailer on a quick slant and he just, he, he threw it over his head. He couldn't bring it down. And it was, it would have been an easy first down if it was on target. So it's, it's these snappy, shorter intermediate throws that right now he's, he's missing a little bit. And I think that's one of the reasons his completion percent at, on the season as a whole is a little bit lower than you'd like. Um, and yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this kid, he's a redshirt sophomore quarterback and he, he looks like one, he looks like one with a, a lot of potential. Um, and I think it's fair for how old he is to be seeing what we're seeing from him. I think he's, he still certainly can become an exceptional, an exceptional quarterback in the big 10 for this team going forward. But, but yeah, I mean, th- some of the fundamentals, some of the just small technical things still have, have room to grow and, you know, you want to see that in big games. Obviously, you want to be able to rely on your quarterback. Um, and, and yeah, on the defensive side, I thought when we went to man coverage, there were guys who struggled in that. Um, Angelo Gross, you mentioned a couple times. When he got into man, he, he gave maybe a little bit too much room or he got a little bit flat-footed on those crossing routes and, and didn't kind of move until until the guy was past him and and you got to be a little better than that he's he's played center field and zone really well so far this year but I think in man it's it's an area that's uh that's starting to show up on tape a little bit and um yeah I mean the offense is or the defense as a whole you mentioned just over the middle I mean it's tough to take everything away and, and I get that um especially when you're in zone you're going to give up some completions but, uh, but yeah, I mean, getting beat on third down over and over in that kind of the center of your defense, it's, it's tough look and it's, it's tough to stop. Michigan's great, a great team at taking advantage of that. Uh, Jim Harbaugh always has his quarterbacks ready to hit tight ends over the middle. So they're going to take advantage of it as well as anyone. But again, at this point in the season, you're putting stuff on tape and we have a lot of hard matchups left and they're going to take any advantage they can get. So if you want to continue to, uh, to win big games, you got to kind of, uh, 
figure out how to how to put band-aids on that stuff it's hard to totally fix things mid-season but at least scheme up a way to uh to minimize the damage in those areas um and that's that's going to be scotty hazelton's uh task as we continue through the year all right well we ripped the band-aid off uh, for all the good things that happened we we do try to uh objectively analyze these games as well and we had to talk about the negatives coming out but let's get back to positives we're we're a little over an hour here already so we'll we'll try to make these quick uh let's start with the game ball here scott uh we'll get to the play of the game after i think there are a bunch of good options for it but who gets your game ball for the michigan beatdown i'll call it a beatdown but it, it was just a win all right, I'll let you I'll let you go with the creative pick. I'm going to go with the obvious one here. I'll take Kenneth Walker. He actually while we were talking was named the Walter Camp uh offensive player of the week nationally. So, it's hard when somebody on your team is getting offensive player of the week to not give them the game ball. Kenneth Walker, generational performance in this rivalry. We were talking in uh one of the episodes last week about the best individual uh, performances we've ever seen in this. And I, I think I took Plasco Burris's big game in 99. I think this one trumps it. I think this is the best individual performance we've ever seen in a game in this rivalry. So game ball, Kenneth Walker. Yeah. You, you said I could get creative with it. I'm not going to, it's Kenneth Walker. There's just no bones about it. I I'll give an honorable mention here to Chuck Brantley who might come up in a second here as well, but it's Kenneth Walker, man, five touchdowns, the most ever in this rivalry, the most ever against Michigan, the most ever against a top, any top 10 team since 2001. I think the stat was Uh, top 10 teams play every week. There are a ton of them. Uh, That's a lot of weeks. That's a lot of football that's been played and it hasn't been done in 20 years. Kenneth Walker, historic performance. He deserves both game balls. He gets both game balls. We'll move on to the play of the game. I think there are a ton of of options here. It was just, it was big play after big play. It was haymaker after haymaker on both sides of the ball. You could argue for a couple offensive plays. You could argue for a couple defensive plays. Uh, Scott, which which direction are you going to go here? Because I think this is probably the most difficult play of the game decision we've had all year. Yeah, I'm still deciding. So I'm going to push it back to you. You're going, I did the first game ball. You're doing the first play of the game while I think this over. That's, that's just rude. Uh, I, so, okay. I'll, I'll start to just lay out a couple options here and we'll try to narrow it down. Uh, I think there were a bunch of big plays early in the game. Uh, but I just think with how close it was, it, it has to be one of these plays in the third or fourth quarter. I think you can look at the long Kenneth Walker touchdown. It was what 58 yards. I want to say um, that was uh, early in the fourth quarter. That was our first first drive of the fourth quarter that tied it up at 30 to 30. And obviously a 50 plus yard touchdown was a huge momentum play with just over two minutes left. Uh, you could argue, obviously the uh, there was a couple fourth down plays. There was the, the Jalen Naylor little pop pass. There was the Jaden Reed fade to keep that drive alive. There was the interception by Chuck Brantley at the end of the game. Uh, there was the, uh, obviously the Kenneth Walker touchdown that, that gave us the lead with 36 points, 23 yards, right up the middle. Uh, very similar. Uh, somebody noted on Twitter to the Jeremy Langford one that sealed it against Ohio state in the big 10 championship game when you put them side by side, but uh, I'm going to go with the one that actually sealed the game. Because Michigan, they got the ball back uh, just 
under or just over a minute left. It was just over a minute left, about a a minute 15 left. They get the ball, no timeouts, but down by four points, a touchdown wins it. And on the first play, like you mentioned earlier, Drew Jordan gets that roughing the passer. And so they got the ball up on the almost at midfield to start that drive. College, obviously, first down, stop the clock, over a minute left. Even if you have no timeouts, you have plenty of time to get down the field. Their passing game, obviously, almost 400 yards. The tight ends were were happening all day. And I won't lie, I was incredibly nervous at that moment. And then Chuck Brantley goes up one-handed and brings that ball down. True freshman in the biggest spot, in the biggest moment, seals the game. I will take the Chuck Brantley interception if I have to pick one here as the play of the game from yesterday. All right. Um, it's a great pick. Probably if I went first, I probably would have landed there. I'm going to try to add a little bit of uh, diversity here. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick a different one. So I'm going to take you back to this would have been, uh, I don't know if we were in the fourth quarter yet. I think it was right around. So we entered the fourth quarter during this drive. We get the ball late in the third. Uh, at our 14, Michigan had just punted. We had a fair catch at the 14 yard line and first two plays, Peyton Thorne incomplete, Peyton Thorne incomplete, third and 10. Oh God, we're entering. This is the first play of the fourth quarter. Thorne has an 11 yard uh, pass to read. We're still at our own 25. Peyton Thorne incomplete on first down. Um, and Tory Foster has when we convert a couple more third downs, right? So we're at our 42 yard line. We're still really not moving the ball. This team's struggled to convert on third down pretty much all year. It's, it's really not a strong suit for us. We get it down to third and three after a Peyton Thorne scramble for seven yards, third and three at our own 42 yard line. This is Kenneth Walker's fourth touchdown of the game. He takes it 58 yards. Uh, we get the two point conversion to Jaden Reed to tie the game. So that touchdown 58 yards, that's my play of the game. It got us back right into a tie game uh, it completed the comeback and set the stage for definitely the best fourth quarter I can remember uh, in this rivalry. And, uh, and it was Kenneth Walker's longest run. He, uh, he kind of broke through um, probably within 10 or 15 yards. He was behind the entire defense and just kept looking over each shoulder over and over, just <laughs> looking for someone to avoid. And it looked like he couldn't even believe that was the entire defense that he had just burst through. Um, and, and at that point, I think it was only a matter of time from a momentum perspective that, you know, we were gonna, we were gonna keep chopping and we were going to win this game. So, um, yeah, 58 yards to tie the game, to set the stage. That's my play of the game. I think if you were to ask a Michigan fan, what was the play that really broke their back? That, that might be the answer, right? Because that was a little stretch. Again, we were down 16 and then in a matter of a, about seven minutes or so of game time, we we came right back and tied it up with two touchdowns and two two-point conversions. And that was the one where, you know, you're down 16, you, you get the nice play, and then you're, you force them to punt, and then you get a 50-plus yard touchdown. So not only do you tie it up, but it's on a 50-plus yard touchdown from your Heisman Trophy hopeful running back. And, and that was the one, I think, if you ask most Michigan fans, where they said, oh, damn it. Like we were, we had this game in the bag up 16 points. And then we had to go up and go out and give up that play. Like, damn, like that, that had to be the one where Michigan fans just really lost full confidence that, that they were going to win that yeah. game. So I think that's a good pick. 
And it um, it exemplifies kind of what this game was, right? I mean, they had three opportunities in that drive to get off the field. Three third downs, a third and 10, a third and four, and then the touchdown was on a third and three. They didn't find the inches, as D'Antonio likes to say. You got to find the inches. And, you know, you can talk about officiating or this or that, whatever excuse you want to make for this game. But Michigan, in every quarter, in basically every drive, had an opportunity to make big plays and set themselves up to win at every single critical moment in this game, Michigan state made the play they needed to make. And that's why I just, I don't have the patience for excuses because you can't say the rest took this out of Michigan's hands. They had dozens, literally dozens of plays where if it went the other way, I don't think Michigan state wins this game and Michigan state did what they needed to every single time. And, and that's what, championship teams do uh in tough games like this and that's why i have zero patience for those arguments michigan state was the better team mentally they were the better team physically and they won this game yeah and and before we get out of here i I will give one last shout out one more honorable mention game ball uh that i think has to be mentioned on behalf of all of spartan nation uh, I will say that, you know, it's a it's a guy that I, I don't personally know, but I think he has rallied a lot of the fan base around him. Steven DeVitri battling cancer. He's posting about how he's like basically fighting for his life in in his therapy at the hospital and then finds a way to get to the game. I, I saw him posting pictures. He was there with his son before the game at the Mel Tucker radio show. There was a really cool moment where um Darian Harris and Mel Tucker got him a custom Jersey Uh, shout out to the, the equipment staff for doing that as well. Uh, A really cool moment. So a a guy that I think a lot of Spartan nation is rallying behind Steven DeVitri keep fighting buddy where if you're listening to this, everybody's with you. Got to give you a shout out there for an honorable mention game ball. Uh, But absolutely keep going, keep fighting. We're all with you. So on that note, Let's get out of here. It's been a little over an hour as it as we probably knew it would be after such a big game. We are 8-0. Mel Tucker is 2-0 against Jim Harbaugh. He might have just put the nail in Jim Harbaugh's coffin, if we're being honest here. Um, we'll get to that when the time comes. But, man, it, it feels good to be a Spartan right now. So uh, until Wednesday when we preview the, the Purdue game, we will see you then. Uh, but until then... As always, go green, go white. Take care, folks.